Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com, and it features interviews and stories about and related to music. Herman Lara is a saxophonist and composer. Born and raised in San Francisco's vibrant Mission District, he has performed with the local funk group Stymie the Pimp Jones Love Orchestra, the Ray of Light Theater Company, and engagements with salsa legends Paquito Guzman and Lalo Rodriguez. A 20-year veteran of the casual and weekend circuit, his debut CD, New Mission, features six-time Grammy nominee guitarist Mike Stern and weaves together musical stories and themes which serve as tributes to the city's iconic entertainment past. When did you first get into playing music? And didn't you start on trumpet in high school? Mm-mm. It was always sax. Always sax. I play trumpet now just for fun. Just to, okay. just to, just for, just to learn how to write music. Right. You know, for the trumpet. I play piano. Play percussion. Did you did you play before high school? No, oh, not at all. Can you? Eat? No, I started at Wildwood, man. I started. I started because. Uh, because I remember, I remember hanging out with you before. I was you got serious. Into music. I was. I just started. Okay. I started right when I was gone. Uh, man, because I kind of grew up poor, man. Like, there just there wasn't any money for. Like, my dad's a musician. Okay. And he tried to teach me to. My stepdad. He tried to teach me how to play guitar, and he was such a mean ass about it. I was, I was going to say a jerk, but he's not a jerk because I'm taking care of him now. You know what I mean? But he's such a fucking mean ass. <laughs> he's like, no, you're not doing it right. And it's funny because he teaches my daughter how to play guitar now. Mm-hmm. He's so sweet and ginger- gingerly with her, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's really talented, but, you know. Um, and he yelled at me. I was like, forget it. I'm never doing it again. Because mm-hmm. I used to write songs when I was a kid. I was just okay. like, just that was how I put myself to sleep. Right. We write these stupid songs, you know? And that was before I really got turned on to jazz. But my my downstairs neighbor, he, he's a rapper. One, I've actually worked a lot with this group called Board Sith. I'm on all their albums. I'm on their last, like, five albums. So, Equipto, who was, like, one of the founders of Board Stuff, Equipto, is, he and I grew up together, like, mm-hmm. since we were three years old. His father is a, is a jazz DJ on okay. KPFA. He's had a program on for, like, 35 years. Yeah. In your ear, Saturdays. Now it's, like, a international kind of world music thing. Um, so, I was... I basically lived in his house, you know, growing up as a kid. He lived downstairs, I lived upstairs on Guerrero Street. And his his dad's house was floor-to-wall records. So for me, and my dad was a musician, but for me, like, you know, Tito Puente and Thelonious Monk and Sonny Rollins and Duke Ellington, these were all really famous names to a, five, a little five-year-old Latino kid. Like, it was just like, yeah, I had this, like, this memory and just... I just I thought those people were like you know to me they were the equivalent of Mozart they were the equivalent of Brahms they were mm-hmm. you know there's no separating the line you know 
and 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 what what separated the line for me was Michael Jackson and like you know the Beastie Boys. That was like okay, that's current stuff. This is history. But I always had a deep appreciation, and just it never it never it was never alien to me. That really that alien, Main, mainly just names. So uh, so my eighth grade year, I started getting into like I got into this TV show with Bruce Willis just because they had cool music. And he was a cool, like, Bruce Willis had this, he was this cool, kind of, like, sassy, like, witty kind of dude. But he always turned on, he was, like, really into, like, hit music. He was into, like, all these mo- all this Motown stuff, and he would kind of sing it. Because he was kind of, remember, Bruce Willis used to play the harmonica and all that? Yeah. So I would kind of go investigate that music. So I got turned on to Sam Cooke. I got turned on to Junior Walker. When I heard Junior Walker, I was like, man, that's, that's what I want to do. And so I had flunked typing at Hoover. And my mom was like, you're taking typing again in high school. I'm like, I'm not taking typing. To this day, I'm a lousy typist. I'm back in type. But <laughs> but, uh, but I was like, I'm taking band. You know, Mr. Tong's class. And I, I finally got my hands on an instrument. Okay. You so know, that was, that was it. That was the know? first time. My freshman year, I didn't really, you know, I didn't take it seriously. You know what I mean? It was just like, and everyone else was so much better than I was. The guy just had all kinds of problems with, with rhythm, with creating the sound and carrying the fucking thing on the fucking 43 that bus used to get packed it all had all the girls from presentation not only did i have acne but i had this big ugly black box to carry around you know and i was just like man it's not into it and then um, i got invited to go see a show at the old original yoshis and there were some young musicians there and i was like oh wait a minute something something clicked you know it was like frank morgan then i got invited to the next show the next week it was free you know i got to go in and it's George Coleman and it was Pharaoh Sanders, Frank Morgan. So Pharaoh Sanders really out, kind of captured me. You know, really this beautiful sound. Leon Thomas was singing. It was just I'd never really experienced anything like that. So it kind of just captivated me. The next week it was George Coleman, who was like he used to tour with Miles Davis, and I was like, yeah, this is cool. And I was like, what? This guy used to play football? Like he's enormous, and he gave up playing football or. You know, he could have had a football scholarship to play sax. I was kind of blown away by that because I was into sports. And then the following week, they had a guy who played alto. I played alto. This Frank Morgan, and he'd been in jail, and he had this whole life. And obviously, this he had, he's this hero. So that's that happened to me sophomore year, and that's when it kind of like I'm I'm like, this is what I'm gonna do. You know, and it was just like it was it was it was just it was, everything just kind of coalesced into you know that that period where you're trying to find yourself. Where, you know, you kind of have these riffs with friends, you know what I mean? And, and you know, just you're, there's riffs with your family and, and just like everything just is amped up and everything irritates you. So this was my way to kind of just chill out and like and have an identity and be, you know, when I had a horn in front of me, people didn't know how old I was. So that felt good. You know, mm-hmm. I was walking around with my horn. People thought, people thought I was in my 20s, but I was like 15 years old. You know what I mean? And that felt great, you know? And it kind of like as soon as I left Wallenberg, it was like, oh, I had a completely different life. Met a whole bunch of different kids. You know, and all of a sudden they were talking about where they were going to go to college and who they were. They were trying to get gigs. We were trying to get gigs and just like just trying to do it, you know. And, and a lot of these guys, I'm still friends with till today. Mm-hmm. They're the musicians on the scene. You know. So did you go to Berkeley in Boston right after high school? Yeah, right after we graduated. I had gotten that my acceptance letter pretty early in February, and. Uh, but I didn't know I didn't know I was gonna pay for it, <laughs> so my mom took out a loan. I took out some loans. Oh wow! And it was it was on. You know, I I I actually reached out to my biological father. And he kicked down like five hundred bucks, 
And, you know, I went to Boston with like $400 in my pocket. I bought my plane ticket and I had like 400 bucks. I remember opening my very first bank account on my own. You know, and I thought four hundred dollars a lot of money, man. That thing lasted two months, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe till November. Mm. You know, I was broke November. I was well, luckily I had the, the you know the dining hall, and then just you know just lived, man. Just like got a job my my second semester, but my freshman semester, man, intense because I thought it was good. When I got there, it was just like guys were touring, right? They were touring with like. <laughs> You know, Chris Holiday was touring with his band. Or people were touring with mm. Phil Woods' band. And it's just like, you know, guys, it was just... So that was 91? That was 90. 90? That was okay. fall of 90, spring of 91. It was just insane, the, ta- the amount of talent that was there. And yeah. I was, I mean, I fell into a serious depression. And it was just like, I thought, I, I thought practicing a, an hour a day was like diligent and, you know, on top of it. Man... Right. It was like, no, I basically just practiced for the first year and a half there, mm-hmm. like six to seven hours a day, just to, just to get, like, feel like I could even show up for my lesson. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, what else, how was it, how else was living out there, like, completely different from out here? It was, it was great. It was, I mean, as scary as it was the first week there, I mean, I adapted pretty quickly yeah, you're not out there alone. You're with a bunch of young musicians. You're, all, you know what I mean. So, they're the stars that you know. And, and if you get a couple of the guys, everyone's everyone. We're all colleagues. You know what I mean. We're all we're all students. So Boston was cool in there. Man, it was kind of like uh, man, it was kind of like going into like a like a old Union town. Like uh, it felt like just gritty, mm-hmm. it was old and gritty, and and it was, was kind of like how San Francisco used to be in the seventies. You know, right. So it was. It was cool. It was cool. It was. Um, yeah, people used to smoke in bars, and you know, it was. Uh, it was really segregated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not saying segregation is cool, but it was no, just kind of like that was. It was his. You know, it was, I, I felt like I was living. I, le- I lived a part of history. You know, right? Just culturally, you go there now, and it's it's so watered down. You know, compared to what things used to be. It's kind of like how Times Square used to be, you know. It was just grimy. It was, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you hit the street and anything could happen. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, and everyone was just hustling. Hustling to try to get better and try to get, you know, some notoriety. I never really achieved any notoriety when I was in school. I was popular. I had a lot of friends. But there were so many guys who were just, you know, outstanding. Right. They are just out there I mean even the guys who are outstanding now they weren't achieving in order to write oh. it was like that in every genre of music I mean I got I got into I mean the jazz guys were just they wouldn't hire me so the first guys who ever hired me were the salsa bands because I kind of looked Latino and they thought you know okay but even there they were like you're not really you're not Puerto Rican what the hell are you you're Japanese or something <laughs> and they would just mess with me but you know I didn't even know how to dance salsa so I but they hired me, man, and it was like $150 a night, you know, to play Barry Sachs and backing up some, like, famous salsa singers, man. It was it was on. And sometimes we'd do two or three gigs in a night. And we'd pull up with the van, and we'd, like, 8 o'clock, and mm-hmm. next thing you know, we're playing Connecticut. Then we're playing in, uh, you know, Springfield, Massachusetts on the way back to Lowell, you know, for the oh. 1 o'clock hit. It was, and it was, like, regular work. Like, I was wor- a working musician my junior year of college. It was awesome, you know. And that's how I got hooked up to him with, with a couple of salsa bands, so, how much touring did you do? Just about a year's worth. 
you know, you just were all over the states. Nah, a little bit, a little bit. It was East Coast work, some work out here, and some work in like Texas, the Texas kind of region. Never LA. Any any time like the real big market, New York and LA, they would just hire. There are plenty enough, plenty of good musicians there. Or Miami. They're just going to stick with who they know. Yeah, but if you're like, you know, in New England, then they've got a core group and then just fly the guys from New England because it's cheaper okay. to Texas or to Washington, you know, right. North Carolina. <laughs> Do you have any interesting road stories? Maybe a crazy gig? I have one that sticks out, man. Yeah. This was pre-9-11. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Because back then, tickets were like carbon paper. And uh, so th- we had this promoter who just, like, he was just shady. And so he bought us like a one-way ticket. But even getting there, what we, he bought us tickets standby. And there's three of us. And we were meeting up with the band in Houston. Like with the rest of the band. Oh, the band in New York. And we were meeting up with the band in Houston. And so the band director was out of Boston. The bass player had the music in New York. So he, he and of course, it's all a power play. You know, there's all this ego and money's involved and I'm just long to get my 150 bucks you know for the night you know I just give me right, right. these guys like four or five hundred bucks on the line you know and so we flew standby and three of us and two there were only two seats and so they like they're like sorry dude we're taking I obviously I have to go and I'm gonna take the backup singer we don't need a better sex <laughs> that's so they left me in Boston I was about to go back you know catch the train go back to my you know apartment or dorm or whatever, whatever it was at the time and 
the lady van was like, oh, do you need to continue? Do you need to continue working? I'm like, yeah. And these guys had already taken off. They were mm-hmm. running to catch the flight. He's like, oh, I can get you. I can get you on another flight. I actually can probably get you there before they get there. I'm like, really? I was like, yeah. The flight. There's this flight and blah blah blah. And so she hooked me up, and I went went on and got another on another airline, and uh, and I get there, and I got my transferring my connecting flight. And I get to the gate and they're not there. And I was like, and I was just like, just get me there. So I didn't realize that she was like, I was like literally going to get there before them. And they were out having, you know, they got in, got in and, and were about to, they got some food or something. So it was like maybe 20 minutes before the flight was about to take off. And I didn't know what to do. I'm here. I'm in like, I don't think it was LaGuardia. It was like, it was like, uh, no, it, was, it wasn't JFK. It was LaGuardia. I'm at the gate and I got the, my ticket in my hand and I don't know whether I'm, I'm going to, whether to get on that flight from New York to Houston by myself, because no one knows that I'm coming in Houston, uh, you know okay. what I mean? But I, it, regardless, I'm in I'm in New York, and I didn't even have a credit card. So this is just to get to the gig, man. And I'm like, at, at this point, 20 minutes before the flight, I'm freaking out. I didn't know what to do. They start like calling, you know, second call, third call, and all of a sudden, here come these dudes like strolling with like cotton candy and like you know sodas and a hot dog, and they're like. Hey, it's Chico. They knew me as Chico because I was like, because I was West Coast guy. It's Chico. Chico, what are you doing here, man? Oh my God, this guy's incredible. Yeah, they're just having a, just laughing it up, man. And so the whole flight, man, from New York to to Houston, it was all about like, you know, just making fun of me. Like, like he was shitting his pants. Oh my God. The whole way, just like, just ripping on me. I didn't, I was so happy that they showed up. So here we are going to Houston and we meet up with the guys and we get to the gig, you know, and then we're sitting around for like, and it's like 11 o'clock at night and there's like, they'd done no promotion for the gig. (laughs) On this whole ordeal, we didn't even get paid, nothing. It was just a disaster. All right, so the next night we do the gig at the club, and they get some people, and it's and it was it was a pretty fun gig, um, and every, a lot a lot of dudes got laid, and we I saw a lot of crazy unnecessary stuff that I didn't need to see. <laughs> uh, guys go crazy, but then we had to get back, and this was like October, so New York was kind of warm. Mm-hmm. We get out to Houston, it started getting chilly, and I had like a members only jacket on. I was starting to freeze my butt off, right? We didn't have tickets on that Sunday. And they finally handed us some tickets. We're like, okay, great. Get to the airport. We jump on a flight. We're heading to New York. Turns out we get to New York. That's it. There's no tickets to Boston. So there we are again in the same damn predicament in New York. And now it's cold. It's like the first of November or something. It was like a Halloween game or something. And I'm freezing my butt off, you know, with my berry sacks. We're in New York. He's like, you got a credit card? I'm like, I don't have, I'm, man, I'm 19 years old. I don't have a credit card. <laughs> so he, luckily he had a sister who lived in like somewhere up in like East Harlem or something. So I don't even remember. We got, somehow we got to East Harlem. They fed us. It was like a basement apartment and they loaned us a car. And we drove from New York at like 10 o'clock or it felt like 10. It was probably like six o'clock in the evening. And we got back, back to Boston around midnight. You know, because you just went this crazy route. And that's not the end of the story, man. They wouldn't stop in Boston to drop me off. The guys lived in Lowell, so they just bypassed Boston. And he's like, yeah, you're taking the train tomorrow. I'm like, man, I got a final at 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, at that point, I swore off music. I was like, 
I hate music. It's so disorganized. I hate Latin bands. I'm never playing music again. I'm quitting. And then, of course, this starts another wave of just like edging me like, oh, you're quitting. You're quitting. Like, of course, next week he calls me up for a game. Hey, are you are you coming out of retirement? <laughs> you know, that, that wouldn't happen nowadays. Everything is too coordinated. Like, there's just, you know what I mean? You just show, you don't show up at the airport and get on a flight anymore you know yeah. it's like it's like security screenings and all this stuff and take your shoes off and i, I can honestly say people will never relive that so what happened after berkeley and um who have you been playing with over the years man so i came out here in uh in like what is it 97 98 i got in, you ever heard of fito reynoso and so i, I a, lot, a lot of my work is jazz obviously right and then cuban and cultural music you know world music funk so I played with Fita Reynoso off and on for about five years. He is the leading like Cuban voice out here. Like he's the real deal. You know, he's a Marielito. You know, you know what a Marielito is. You know, remember the movie Scarface, that Exodus, where uh, Fidel Castro basically opened up the prisons and were like, "All right, you don't want to live in Cuba under our rules? Then go to the U.S." And then start a Scarface. So he was a Marielito. He was in in jail and let him out. And, but he's a wonderful musical talent, you know. He's just uh, just a character. Mm -hmm. So I worked with him for five years. Again, nothing but high levels of disorganization. Before that, I was living in New York, and I was I didn't play music. I was too intimidated to play music in New York. So I was working at a record label, and at the time it was um, RMM Records. I was like a publicist, a junior publicist for them. But we had Mark Anthony on the label. We had Tito Puente. We had Celia Cruz, and these people were like in the office on a regular basis. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. So on a business level, I was interacting. It was a lot of fun. Isaac yeah. Delgado, a lot of a lot of these guys. So and and straight up like New York salsa '90s kind of like cool. Yeah. Like it was cool. It was it was hit slick. It was all about being slick. I fully immersed myself, and that it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So I got back out here and uh, started playing with Fito and playing all the clubs around here. Had my first kid, had Nina and my daughter, and the level of disorder. The last minute eight thirty call for a ten thirty gig mm -hmm. just wasn't going to cut it. Right. You know, as much as I just, loved it, just I just I just I hated it, hated that. I mean, I even hate preparing for a gig now. You know, having to work all day and then going to a gig. It's man, it's the most exhausting thing in the world. Oh, you know, and then have to just turn on and be an entertainer and be artistic and and then be a craftsman. You know what I mean? And yeah. deliver. I mean, that's just it's so taxing. And get done around four or three. No, not playing one. jazz. Not playing no. jazz. No. That's that's playing well funk for me playing rock and playing you shows to yeah back and get back and then you're done like loading back into your your studio at yeah three thirty and then you got to get home yeah and then you're wired because you've been going all that time and it's physical and no pay yeah. but it was fun for the time you were on stage mm -hmm. and then you got to get up in the morning so I did that I did that with one band out here. Mm -hmm. And that was Stymie and the Pimp Jones. I was, I was with Stymie for about three years. I was their horn player. Yeah, so I was with Stymie from like 2004 through 2008, 2007. Okay. And then got into a physical altercation with Stymie. And it was just, it was just weird. So is he the singer? Yeah. It's his band. It's his music. He's, he's a genius, but he's untrained. So it's a disaster to work with him if you're a trained yeah. musician. I don't need to be talking ego. You know what I mean? No, I understand what you're talking but about. I'm, I'm efficient. You know? I would yeah, I understand that. And oh, just yeah. saying... Oh, we're going to do it this way. And, and okay, cool. Let's do it. And then not doing it that way. And, or hearing something different. I'm like, it's okay. Just go with it. 
it's not going to be perfect every time. I mean, you learn a lot. I learned a lot from that. You know, I can work with rappers. I can work with people who are from, you know, I can probably, you know, you can probably put me in an in a, in a Iranian band right now and we would like within five minutes figure something out. Just be, from being in those different elements. And I think part of that is being a jazz musician, you know. And so you learn a lot, but I wanted it. I mean, I was I was in my mid thirties at the point with like thirty two, thirty three, and I was like, okay, cool. I've been trying to do jazz, and nothing's taken off. Let's do this. I was ready. Like, let's go. Let's go on tour. I'm what? I've got a family. I'm willing to put my family on hold for a year. Let's go. I wanted to get on the Grammys. You know what I mean? That was my goal. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be on one of those award shows. You know. <laughs> right. And when I realized it wasn't going to happen, it was too dysfunctional. It wasn't driven enough, and that our time had come. There was maybe a two year window there where that was that shit was. Really really cool you know that resurgence of like sly and the family stone and like the jam band that's kind of organized and and once that once maroon five hit it was like maroon five's got it why do we need to get around you know know, we're not gonna make it you know so so i we we had the big beef and it was just you know it was done you know and uh ever since then i've been freelancing playing with just everyone on the sun and playing musicals so when did this the album come up new mission that came out in 2011 but when did you kind of like decide i'm gonna do this i think we started doing this 2009 i made the decision 2009 with a certain core of guys that you know but just me you just said i'm doing it yeah we're doing it okay yeah actually i got hired at this company and the guy who hired me was an investment banker he's also a sax player and I was like, and he put out two CDs. I was like, man, he's putting out music. I mean, I, I think I have something to say. Music's my life, man. I've done it. You know what I mean? I've, I've suffered enough through it. And, and, I, and I've reaped, and I can say I've reaped the benefits. You know, I've, I've gotten the dividends. You know, I've gotten that steady cash flow. I mean, I probably last year made 20,000 bucks off of music. That's great. I mean, you can't raise a family on that. And that's just me working part time between teaching and gigging. And I paid some taxes off of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and before then, it's just been incremental. So, I reaped the benefits. I was like, no, I got something to say, man. I got some music that I, I can write. And it was a challenge. And also, my mom just... So, I, I started on the project, got halfway through it, and my mom got diagnosed with, can- with terminal cancer. Uh-huh. And so, that what that's what prompted me to finish it. Something inside of me said, listen, no one knows who I am. I'm just like this B-stock musician. But I want my mama to see something. I want to write something out in there that means something to her. And I don't think it ever meant anything to her, man. But for her, she never really got it. She wanted me to be. She wanted me to be into the church. You know what I mean? Okay. And because I, w- it wasn't coming from a place of worship. Mm-hmm. You know, it just she didn't put as much value as I wanted her to put on it. So that was kind of a learning experience too. I was I was fortunate enough to hire a really smoking band. The bass player used to used to tour with Ray Charles. He toured with Ray Charles for like nine years. Oh wow! And he was he actually rehearsed on a project. He kind of co-produced a song that I wrote. I wrote every song on the album. And then I, we got Mike Stern, who's a really well known. He was just in town with the. Riker Brothers band, part of SF Jazz, and but he's kick ass. I mean, like he was like he was, used to be in Miles Davis. He was in Miles Davis's band twice. We were at uh, we were kind of like just taking a break. He's like, yeah, man, Miles put me in rehab twice. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Jocko's. He was in Jocko's band. He's good friend oh, of Jocko's. Wow. Yeah. So he's. Wow. I mean, he is. He's a, he's a jazz legend. I mean, he's like you know. Three guitar players: Schofield, Stern, Matheny. You know, so how did a you, modern guys? So how did you end up meeting him? Then? I just asked him. Just you hired just, him. You just hired him. Okay. Yeah, I I used to go hang out in New York and check him out, and that was kind of my end. I was like, yo, man, I was I was in yeah, I was in New York in '95, man. You were playing with Lincoln Goins, and Dennis was there, and he's like, yeah, I remember that shit. 
Fuck yeah, that was one of my favorite gigs, man. <laughs> and I was like, really? I was like, yeah. And he acted like he knew me or something. I was like, oh, cool. Hey, man. I remember you. And then he was like trying to sell me his CD. He was trolling with the Yellow, yellow Jack at the time. And I was like, he's trying to sell me his CD. I'm like, and he's like, it's 20 bucks for the CD. I'm like, 20 bucks? <laughs> I'm like, I already got that CD. He's like, come on, man, I'll sign it. I'm like, man, I don't need you to. What am I? I'm not a teenage girl, man. <laughs> I don't need you to sign. I'm like, why don't you play? If I buy it, I'll play on my CD. He's like, hell yeah! I'm coming out of here in December. Here's here's my number. Oh, here's wow. my phone number. And I didn't believe him. And I called him up. He's like, all right, we'll talk to my manager. I call him up. He doesn't have email. He doesn't have a cell phone. Just talk to his manager. Talk to his manager. Set it up. And we set it up. Negotiated the fee. It was totally affordable. Because he was going to be playing Yoshi, so it was like. For him to come out and like do some stuff during the day and make some money, you know, make a thousand bucks, you know, whatever, totally worth it. And it was great. I mean, it was the, it was the best. I mean, I spent all that money getting a music degree, but that four hour span, I learned as much as I did in college. Doing the yeah recording and even I mean, kind of not only doing the recording, but doing the work that led up to it, interacting with his manager, you know, coordinating his arrival, and then having it play. Like we played live in the studio, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. it was just like, it was it was intense, man. Like, not only was I nervous, but all the guys in my band who were all top-notch San Francisco guys, and this guy's toured Ray Charles, we were all fucking kind of nervous. You know, he comes in, and he's like, it's like nothing. You know, he comes in, and we we play it. We play, play through it once, and he fucks up on something. Ah, let's do it again. And we went through it, and all of a sudden, we did one full take, and it was quiet. And he goes, that was beautiful, man. Let's do it again. <laughs> And, and you could just feel like the room just went, the air just went, we just went, ah, yeah, haha, it's great, yeah, man, you sound great, man. And it was just like, we were friends, man. It was mm-hmm. just like we were just, you know, we were colleagues. Here's Herman with Holdout, featuring Mike Stern on guitar.
you end up calling it a new mission kind of the play on words yeah. right the play on yeah. words new mission yeah. just do it just get it done and i grew up going to that theater so did i yeah <laughs> man dollar 25 for saturday matinees three movies <laughs> right i'm not making that up yeah right? i remember seeing a bunch of movies there on everyone yeah so there's a groove on this thing called new mission matinee and that's right. what it's about it's a tribute to those Saturday afternoons, you know? <laughs> you know, it was, to me, that was my first taste of freedom. 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Where are you going? I'm going to the park. No, you're not. Where are you going? <laughs> All right, we're going to go to the movies. I'll be back at five. With who are you going with? I'm going with E. All right. And then you show up there and everybody's there. Nine <laughs> years old to 25-year-old people making out in the balcony, drug deals going people, on. People talking to the film. Yep. You know, that was the first time I got a taste of that. And like, yeah, people I, I smoking weed. I still haven't like quite gotten away from people talking to the film. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's it's films or that like you see in the theater and you want to say something. Yeah, Chuck or, Norris or watching some movie at the house. Yeah, you know? yeah. People talking through the film, yeah. like you know, the horror, the fri- all the Friday the Thirteenth movies. I saw them there, right? Right. And everyone was like, ah, don't be stupid. Ah, right? It's great, man. It was so great. I got to hang out in the Bronx a little bit in the, in the 80s because I had a friend who lived out there. And it was like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it was, it was in just... In the Bronx? Yeah. That part of society is intimidated by that. And if you're in that, you know, you're in within it, it then you're not intimidated by it. You're yeah. Kinda, you know what I mean? So, and, it, it, and it's colorful. It's just, you know, people don't really do that stuff anymore. So the new mission, man, that's what it's about. And if you go to the new mission now, it's in the midst of, you know, like all of the hip, trendy places and the missions change so much, you know, and there it is all run down. So we always have this question that we like to ask on Music Life Radio. What does music mean to you? I mean, music, man, I told you, music's life for me, man. It's in, in the more practical sense. I mean, life is, you know, life is kind of a day-to-day existence. It doesn't matter if you're rich, I think, or if you're super poor. You know what I mean? 
if you're scraping to get by you're just barely trying to exist it's like i have to squeeze it in and sometimes some some days i have to squeeze it in to just kind of get my physical activity because I, I need to stay on top of my craft in terms of practicing sometimes it's you know it's a chore like me trying to make my daughter practice who's super talented but hates to practice and sometimes it's just completely overwhelming just takes over your life you know some days and sometimes i need to put it down and just but i mean it, at the end of the day i mean I, I you know i don't have any i don't have a core i, don't, I took a break and i just wasn't myself for that year and a half you know and i, I would do gigs but i would take a break from practicing and developing as a musician you know so you got i got reflective during that period of time didn't you not really. No? No. No. I got into making money and oh, spending okay. money and not focusing on what was really kind of important, which are interpersonal relationships and, and personal growth. But you need to do that because when you don't have anything, you got to build something, you know, you, or, or just be hand to mouth all the time. And I'm, I still feel like I'm hand to mouth, which is a drag, you know. But, you know, life's not all about money. You know, it's a, you, you, this, that's what's going to be left behind. Like if I get wiped out for the earth tomorrow. That's what's left behind. Your what, what you leave with your kid. You know, the, what, you know how many times you told your wife you love them. You know when they were down, when they wanted to hear it, when they, even when they didn't want to hear it. That's what's left behind. You know, you don't grad in life. You don't. You never really graduate to anything. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Barack Obama, or if you know you're you know Mr. Joe Schmo who lost his job and is living on like Townsend Street. You know, you don't graduate anything when you're dying it's like you know and i say this because i saw my mom die you'll be grouchy that afternoon and worrying about the most trivial thing and like three minutes later be struggling for your last breath you never graduate there's no there's not this like pillar of light that comes out of the ceiling you know out of the sky to come lift you up and it's it's not glamorous you know there isn't it's not final it's frayed and so music's that you know it's just you know sometimes it's perfect you hit the right note. Sometimes you slop it out. You chug it, chug through something. Sometimes you struggle. I mean, here I am. I've been playing my instrument 25. I'm still struggling on stuff. You know, I'm still. I still go back to just my fundamentals of how to breathe, how to project the sound. You know, and on the technical side of things. And sometimes I can just, I can just lay into something, and it just happens. And people come up to me, man, that was beautiful, man. How do you do that? Like, you know, and I like really, you really like you're taking enough time to just. To Ask about it. That's I mean that's pretty mind blowing. You know I want to buy your CD. I'm like, oh, what do you want to pay? No, tell me how much is worth. How much you want for it? I'm like, give me five bucks. No, that's not enough. That's great. Yeah, I'm willing to give it away for free. I'm not one of these cats that's like, you gotta. Like, I'm that's not my personality. I want people to listen to it. You know when my boss came up to me, he's like, oh man, been playing your CD in the car. My kids are very enamored with your music. Wow. When my daughter sings the melodies on the album note for note she uh, sings my melodies back songs that i've named for her or just different songs i'm like man she's singing my music that feels pretty good yeah, doesn't it exactly so that's that's why i say it's like it's really it's parallel it's a parallel it's like a garnishment it's a part of life man it's a part of like you know it's like just having the basics is have like having you gotta have some celery in your freaking your fridge you gotta have some onions if you're gonna cook anything if you don't have celery onions and garlic <laughs> you ain't cooking nothing you're just put pouring something out of a box you know so you know how those things the same thing with music you know mm -hmm. it's just a part of it's an essence of water man but that's what it is it's inevitable i agree you know? regardless of, of the of the genre 
regardless of the genre. I'll be, I'll get into, you know, there was a period that I was into like, you know, Chinese operas, man. Because it was just weird, you know? It was just like, how, how do people dig this shit? <laughs> Chinese operas, man. But there's a, there's a method to it, you know? You start to catch it, you know, rhythmically. You know, or... or, or, or it's you a know. different scale, isn't it? it was, a lot of it's based on the pentatonic scale. I think the things that are, are more more captivating to me was how they were able to capture the drama. It's it's a lot like opera in the general sense. It's like it's it's not twangy just because they want to hear it. It's 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 evoking emotion, unique from that standpoint. You know, you know, or or, or hand percussion, like Afro-Cuban drumming. You know, learning to hear the conversation between five drums. You know, it's just not going to happen overnight. You got to sit there and just get into it. You know, and really let it take over your life a little bit let it kind of seep into the cracks i have a, I had a friend of mine who handed me uh i use I, I don't think it was like a death metal band but it was in spanish okay and this shit was in my car for a while <laughs> out of just like <laughs> out of just like politeness because i love the cat so much but i started singing along with this stuff man you know i finally found what their what the method was right. yeah you know because i just wanted like when i was picking them up for rehearsals like you know, he was playing funk. Hey, have you checked out Los Hermanos, blah, blah, blah. Like, Los Hermanos Muertos. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed, I just, like, didn't dig it, man. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to teach myself to dig it. And I think he appreciated the fact that I really sat there in my car and, like, once a day would put on one of the songs and I would sing it back to him. You know, the same way my daughter sang back my music to him. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's what your friends do. Do you think that improvising really helps you grow as a musician, as a player? It makes me want to continue exploring my instrument to yeah. be able to add more elements to it and be able to recall that sensation that you get in your head that's breathing that's pulsating you know what i mean yeah. you want to be able to latch on to it right away you know what I mean? mm-hmm. you know what i mean you want to you don't want yeah. any latency you want it as direct as possible Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'm kind of always going for. Like, I envy the guys who like are diligent to, and just can like take what they practice and make it show up in their playing. Because it takes me the longest, you know. But be that being said, I spend so much time practicing different stuff and noodling and kind of trying to connect to it. I feel like what comes out is in that language, but is it? Fabricated, you know. There's a portion of what I play that's fabricated, though, right. just muscle memory. But some of it is, you know, you know what? I, hopefully, what I'm hearing, what I, where I can go with my ability at that time. What was your process in writing this music for your CD? Sometimes it was it, mainly it was me sitting down at a keyboard, you okay. know, and singing melodies and trying to uh, find harmony that was cool, that just kind of late, like kind of late, like. Uh, it was almost like grabbing like an empty space and going, all right, what do I got to work with today? I got this rug, I got some paint, you know, like, <laughs> and just, and, and lifting the walls up and, and making a place habitable, you know, and that was one song, you know, and then it was a matter of once it was there, writing it all out and then testing it out with the band or testing it out with one person to see if that, to see if that message kind of communicated itself and could lend itself into a song. There was some stuff that I was envisioning in my head, 
that just didn't work and I just cut it out. So I wrote a lot and just filtered it all down, you know? Mm -hmm. But I'm old school. I write music. Like, I will write music down with pen and paper and play through it and uh, and then I'll, I'll throw it on a computer program and really slowly create these parts and we'll show up in a rehearsal studio and we'll rehearse seven songs and as professional as possible because sometimes I'm paying these guys out of my pocket and, and if something doesn't work I will like stop it don't play it I'm going to rewrite that <laughs> or right. you go on to the next one or did you just play what I wrote he's like oh no I added this I'm like okay well let's fix like let's yeah. add let's keep that there you know and let's go with that and I'll just grab that little idea and create it into something else yeah I'm trying to do more of what we did in Stymie showing up at a rehearsal with, with nothing there and uh, that's my next project so I'm trying to convince I'm with an organist and a drummer three guys and I mean I like the jam element of it but I also there's this part of me that you know, had I had enough training as a kid, I think I'd want to be a, a conductor. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? I love working within the context of a piece of music that's been around for 200 years and reinventing it within the, those parameters. Like, I find the beauty of that detail and, and, and finding the intensity there, you know what I mean? And, and refine. And that's the great thing about jazz. You get a little bit of both. There's yeah. the improvisational aspect of it, but there's also this, this, uh, this element of conveying the message of that me the song that was already written. And I, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of against like, I'm, I get torn, man. Like, I think a lot of jazz is hokey. All these like old standards, you know, like I love you. It's like what? I don't want to play that, <laughs> you know. There's no no context whatsoever right now, you know. Uh, I mean, with vocals? Well, like, just the song, like, standards. Like, okay. standards. Like, what is this thing called love? Man, right. that's a okay. great song. That's a fantastic song. There are 500 recordings of it. What can I possibly bring to it unless I really try to reinvent that song? Harmonically. Latin rhythmically. death metal. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Something like that, you know? And, and make it work. But you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and that's probably the wrong song to choose, but there's some other cheesier songs out there. I know what you're talking about. You know? And, man, I'm not going to put... I'm, like, I'm a huge fan of Frank Lesser. I'm a huge Frank, uh, fan of Cole Porter. You know, I'm a huge fan of... Uh, you know, those are kind of like the Tin Pan Alley, like, Broadway show guys. They wrote great tunes. But let's leave it alone, man. Those songs are 60 years old. There's tons of music in between then and now, and I think for you to, for jazz to live, you got to write music. So, and that's what they're doing in New York. That's what that's where I think jazz is really alive. You know, where the core of it. We're still gotta, writing stuff. They're writing stuff, and they're and they're playing, and they're not getting paid for it. They're playing just to play. Yeah. For to live. And you can't really make a living playing music, the way you used to, and even. The, this whole sham of the internet and downloads and getting and cutting the middleman out it's kind of a sham you know you think a lot of musicians are making money from concerts versus downloads these days yeah i think i think the the, the wave of free music is never real it's always even though itunes kind of took prominence for a while that stream of free downloads never really went away and you really see it now like Lady Gaga, right? If I think I, I'm speaking off the top of my head here, 
but like her numbers comparable to Madonna's numbers not there in terms of it. she make she's making money off concerts mm -hmm. her ticket prices are through the roof compared to what Madonna's ticket prices were and what she's making on her productions right um, but but what do you what do you do if you're if you're uh, you know if you're a 45 year old Jasmine or a 50 year old Jasmine who's kind of lived the old life and you know <laughs> and is living the new life I mean like I, I worry about like you know the, the, these guys like Kenny Garrett you know or these established artists and uh, they have a record label some of them but I know man it's like how can they make a living you know and they, how, what kind of a life is that like not being around your family when you're you're in Israel one week and the next week you're in Belgium and then you're back in New York and then you're in San Francisco and I mean yeah well ultimately it comes, seems it comes exciting a, when you're 20 but not when you're 55 right. years old yeah. it ultimately becomes a choice whether or not they want to live that life or mm -hmm. do something else and at that point it's really hard to, to, to make a change or yeah. say I'm just going to teach or I'm yeah. just going to whatever yeah yeah I'm just trying to make some music at a high high level, yeah. at the highest level possible that I can possibly. So, are you planning a follow up? We're gonna do an organ trio album, and I keep talking about it, and I've got you know, but it'll happen. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna collaborate with a colleague of mine named Brian Ho, and so we're just gonna make some time to like work out the ideas together and bring in the drummer, rehearse a little bit, and go right into the studio, and then just get a product out there. 500 and I pressed a thousand I'm thinking maybe we'll maybe we'll press 600 200 each to kind of distribute mm -hmm. kind of give away sell a few at gigs get try to get some gigs with it this is basically a business card yeah yeah you know that's how we used to use them it's a business a card band. you know it's shrink wrap it's got a barcode on it looks professional you know what I mean yeah I can send it to I can hand it to someone and who's booking a festival and and, and, and have a chance to even get a, a, a an opening act yeah it's not just about how good you play so that's that's the next phase for that and just just continue to try to lay exist exist into perpetuity with recording and live to play another day you know hustle up the gigs man I've been broke and I, you know like two weeks ago, I broke off my ass and I got a gig last minute and I paid for breakfast Sunday morning and things were good so well, Mus good. music's been pretty good to me yeah you know but at the same time I, I try not to bastardize it as much as I I should be <laughs> <laughs> I should exploit it more you know everything has a shelf life the only thing that's beneficial about being a jazz musician <laughs> is the shelf life on a jazz musician is much longer than it is on a you know pop a pop you know rock you know, kind of young element right. type of music. The the more hair I lose, the more le it, it visual legitimacy I have. The fatter I get, the grimier my sound gets, the more visual legitimacy I get. The truth is, I get better. You know, whether I practice or not. I mean, I I practice. I'm I try to practice as much as but as a musician, just like the experience gets better. Now, technically, I want to still be dazzling. You know, it's mm -hmm. jazz is super competitive that way. It's a track meet, <laughs> and it shouldn't be because that's not music, right. right? But you know, put my hat on and like you know talk the talk that I've been talking 
since I was a teenager. And people believe that I'm a jazz musician. You know, even though if you look at me, I'm, I can be this guy at the pupusa shop, you know, serving up your soup, you know. <laughs> right? So that's the one lucky thing about being a jazz musician is like, I can be 85 years old. If I can still put some air in my horn, I can still make a living, I think. Right. How many uh, saxophones do you have and do you play any other instruments? I've got three now. I play flute. I've got a nice flute. Get a clarinet. I play keyboards just to write and goof around on. My daughter plays better keyboards than I do now. Okay. I play hand. I play uh, congas on this album on one track. I'm kind of like you know, just got the chance to put my hands on stuff. You know, <laughs> you know, I get into things. You know, I get into Brazilian choro music. So I learned to play pandero because of that. Because I think that's if you're gonna play that, if you're gonna carry the melody, you need to know what the rhythm is doing. You know, if we want to play Alpha Cuban music, you need to know what the you got to learn how to dance. You know, all these things you had to kind of do, and I think it makes you it makes me a better musician. Otherwise, you're just doing your baloney over the idiom. You're not inside the idiom. You know. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest show you've ever played? Played exo exotic erotic ball. Oh yeah, here. what's time me? That was pretty big, and we opened for two, the Cow Palace, right? Yeah, but we opened for Two Live Crew. I played the Fillmore twice. Fito Reynoso's band. Okay. Did that twice. I almost played the Hollywood Bowl. I got called to do this gig from with this band out of London. It's got a poet like guy who had some jazz thing going on in the background. And I got I had the gig, but I was also doing I was with Stymie at the time and I was running the business for the Elbow Room show. Oh, okay. So because I had that gig that I had to kinda of pay everybody and coordinate the money and we couldn't fly down there and do the other one. I couldn't do it. I had to, you know what I mean? It's like we had to do our show, and I had to make sure people got paid and make sure that the money didn't go to drug towards, didn't get swallowed up by Stiney. Because <laughs> we, had, we had to pay rent, you know? We had to pay rent for this place over here. And just, with Stiney, we played uh, High Sierra one year. We were on, like, their number two stage, playing for maybe 1,200 people. Played Crystal Bay Casino. With Stymie. Played a number, I've, I've played just about every venue out, I mean, out, out here. Minus the Independent. I haven't played the Independent, but i played the Great American. Played Yoshi's. Do you go anywhere to be inspired to write music? That's, that's you know, no, i never done that until this summer. We took a family trip to Yellowstone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was great. Okay. And, uh, in... Yeah, even just driving there and just being surrounded by it. and It's a very touristy area. And we didn't do it like outbacking, pack, backpacking, you know, on a bike, and totally immersed in nature. That's just not us. You know what I mean? But just being out there with your family, surrounded by wildlife, having to pay attention. And we made it a point of like getting away from like our motel and into the park early, I guess six in the, in the morning when the sun was rising because it was just like we're never going to be here again let's just be here before everyone else like and so yeah there were just like melodies that would just come out you know mm. you hit Paradise Valley and you know and just melodies so I recorded a lot of my daughter and I kind of singing and this like 50 mile ride like developing composing together just melodies and just sing something and she's like oh no no what if you do this la 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 sa da da Bida, bida. You know, okay, cool. You know, but I don't like it. Yeah, I'm just talking about melody. My wife is sleeping. You know, 
and uh, so that was that was inspirational. That was really inspirational, and just coming back from that, and just you know, taking that feeling of like you know, oh man, we could go, we were there, you know, we could go, we were right by that waterfall, you know, that was amazing. Just hearing the rush of that, so I need to do it more, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and life, man, life is inspiring. Seeing your daughter being born, that's pretty inspiring. I'd like to thank my guest, Herman Lara. For more of his music, check out his website, hermanlara.com. And you can also search for him on cdbaby.com. We're going to leave you with a track from his CD entitled New Mission Matinee. I'm Josh Almond for Music Life Radio.
come back to Cannibal Adderley, you know, because that's just the sound I hear in my head that I want to sound like. Thanks again to Josh and Herman for an amazing interview. I'm your host, Dan Sauter. And thank you, the listeners, for checking out Music Live Radio. We will catch you next time. And please, if you do get an opportunity, go on to iTunes and write a review. We would appreciate it.